Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever part of the planet you're on. Welcome to Atlanta Discuss. This week we have another fantastic and very, very juicy episode for you. Today we're going to talk about Bola Ahmed Tinumbu. The question is all over the place. Who is Bola Ahmed Tinumbu? So we have an interesting guest in the house. Somebody that has distinguished himself very well in his chosen career. Not very old mid-age, but he has he's got all the credibility. He is the definition of credibility. So, today we have with us David Iyene Obonkuluashi Welcome to Atlanta Discuss, David. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Alright, fantastic. So, I mean, David is not new to us, but it would be unfair not to talk about who David is. We all know he's a writer, he's an investigative journalist, a broadcaster whose work has appeared on CNN, The Africa Report, Al Jazeera, Washington Post. His work as a satirist on other news, that's the Nigerian answer to The Daily Show, as featured in the New York Magazine and in Netflix documentary, Larry Charles Diggers' World of Comedy. In 2018, he was nominated by the U.S. State Department for the 2019 Edward Murrow Program for Journalists under the International Visitors Leadership Program, that's the IVLP. In February 2021, he won the People's Journalism Prize for Africa 2020 for his work unraveling predatory legislation that has been rushed through the Nigerian House of Representatives. In June of 2021, he was selected as the African-only representative on the list of 12 writers and journalists from around the world choosing to take part in the Substack inaugural 1 million Substack local. In December, he was named the GRC, that's the Governor's Risk Compliance Anti-Crime Reporter of the Year at the Nigerian GRC Award. And most recently, in March 2022, by his OSINT, uh, that's OSINT investigation, that's who killed Ini Moran, made the global shortlist in 2022. Everybody knows David irritates powerful people for a living, so he is the man for the job. And most recently, uh, according to Dr. Brown Everell, the director of the Center for African Studies, he said, I am pleased to confirm that Mr. Ondeyi to a distinguished James Curry Fellowship at the Center for African Studies from 30th of January to 1st of March 2023. Congratulations on that, David. How are you doing, David? I'm great. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're glad to have you here at Atlanta Discourse. We follow your work closely. So now let's just kick the ground running and shoot straight. Quickly, I mean, we've all read and watched what the expose on Bolatin and so we're trying to find out who really is this guy. So, the first question we have for you is, was the U.S. for feature case a guilty verdict on Bola Ahmed Tinumbu? So, um, that depends on if you're looking at it from the point of view of a, a criminal prosecution, or if you're looking at it from the point of view of a, a, a criminal investigation. Which it was. Now, the defense that people like Festus Kayamo, Bayo Nonuga have tried to mount in Tinumbu's defense is that Tinumbu was not criminally convicted. And the reason for that is obvious. First of all, um, Tinumbu himself, even though he was, um, he was a defendant in the case, the actual, if you look at the case files, the actual defendant was his bank accounts. So it's, it's the way the case was structured. So technically, it, it was the, 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 the U.S. government versus those bank accounts, which were suspected to contain the proceeds of heroin trafficking, 
in any case, it, um, he wasn't physically located in the U.S. at the time. He was in Nigeria at the time, running to seven. So he couldn't have been put on the dock anyway. So um, what what eventually came of it was a was a criminal asset forfeiture, where he was forced to forfeit four hundred sixty thousand dollars of this um, illicit proceeds of heroin trafficking, while the the balance was released to him as part of the the, the settlement agreement that was reached. So. Um, except you want to be obtuse, you cannot now then look at that and say, well, he didn't do anything. He's innocent. Innocent people don't reach settlement deals, plea deals with the U.S. government when the U.S. government is accusing them of money laundering on behalf of a drug cartel. Innocent people don't do that. Right? So if you want to be academic and say, yes, he himself did not receive, did not personally receive a criminal conviction. You know, but... To that, I'll also say that um, Al Capone was never he was never prosecuted for um, for for murder or kidnapping or racketeering. He was prosecuted for tax evasion. That's true. So, except you want to be you want to be cute about this thing, it's very obvious what has happened. Um, if you actually read these documents, they leave you no doubts whatsoever as to what exactly it is that has happened. The reason that there appears to be any kind of um, controversy about this is simply down to the fact that those in, those around him and Bull expect and I think rightfully expect that Nigerians have not and will not actually read these documents because anything which is longer than two hundred words just tends to lose tends to lose a large part of the audience. That's just the unfortunate thing. But if people would have that discipline to sit down for 30 minutes and read through those 40 plus pages that that were that were put together in 1993 by the U.S. government. It leaves you in no doubt whatsoever as to what exactly it is that has happened there. Interesting. Well, I've read it. I've read it about three times, and uh, I think a lot of people are reading it based on what is. I mean, contrary to what the Tinubu people want, people are actually reading it. But the second question I have for you. Has it contravened or broken any laws in Nigeria to warrant his disqualification, at least as a presidential candidate right now? So the unfortunate answer to that question is no. The unfortunate answer to that question, because I've, I've spoken to quite a number of lawyers about this, and the consensus is that um, even if you were an axe murderer, as long as you committed that axe murder in, a, in another jurisdiction, as long as it didn't happen in Nigeria, and you weren't prosecuted under Nigerian law, you are qualified to run for office in Nigeria. And, um, it's, it's not just Tinubu that this applies to. There are several people who are currently in government who have all sorts of criminal and legal issues in the past, both past and present. So at present, you have current open state governor of Abiodun, whom I think is the closest comparison there is. He is an ex-convict in the U.S. He was he was, uh, he was prosecuted for, for wire fraud. Potentially, he was a Yahoo boy. The 80s is the governor now. The current um, uh, speaker of the House of Reps, Femi Bajabi Amila, he was prosecuted for stealing his client's money in the U.S. when he was practicing as a lawyer, co-mingling, as they called it. He was discarded from practicing law. He came back to Nigeria and he was successfully ran for office. Um, people like uh, the current Deputy Senate President, Ovie Omar Gege, he also has a criminal issue in the U.S. in his past. He came back to Nigeria successfully ran for office multiple times. The former Delta State Governor, James Ibori, had gone to prison in the UK for theft before he came back to Nigeria to run for office successfully. So, Tinubu will just be the latest in a long line of people who have taken advantage of this gap, what I consider to be a gap in, in, in Nigerian law, 
whereby no matter what kind of crime or offense you've committed anywhere in the world, as long as it didn't happen in Nigeria and you weren't convicted or indicted under Nigerian law, then you are basically free to go. Well, that's that's rather unfortunate. So this guy we're talking about, this Bola Ahmed, do we really know his real name? Because I've read what, I mean, everything you've said, I've read the expose, I've watched, listened to the documentary. I mean, it does appear that the Bola Tinubu that went to Chicago State University is clearly a female, not this same Bola Tinubu. I mean, it does appear that the law of discrepancies in his person, his origin, where he's from, you know, it does appear that almost everything about him is like a fallacy or a lie. So yeah. who really is this guy and what is his real name? Do you, Is there anything we know? A lot of names have been thrown about, about his origin, that is from Oshun and all that. But do you have anything to add to that? Do we really know who he is? The, the, only thing, the only thing that is known for his fact about his origin is that he comes from a place called Iraq Bidji in Oshun State. That's where his actual birth parents gave birth to him and that's why he spent his early childhood that's the only thing we know about him for a fact and that um his entry if you like into the Tenable family and the adoption of the Tenable name came about as a result of being adopted by um Elijah Habibat Mogaji which he himself admitted that this is his surrogate mom not not his birth mom to his credit I don't think he has ever claimed that that is actually his birth mom has actually used it, has actually admitted on multiple occasions that that's the given. So that's that's the only um thing that we know about his origin for a fact. He comes from Iraq BG in Oshun State. Um he was taken in by Habibad Mogaji, who was a member of the, the famous Tinubu family in Lagos. And then from there he adopted the, the Tinubu name and Tinubu identity through a process that still remains very unclear. And yeah, that's pretty much all that we know about him. Everything else between then and when he arrived in Nigeria to run for office as a senator in 1992, there's this huge gap. We simply don't know. There's like this, 20, this unexplained 20 year gap in his history or 25 year gap. So it's like going to apply for a job and someone looks at your CV and sees like a gap of like two or three decades, like completely unexplained. And asks you, okay, so what were you doing during this time? And you don't have an answer. And you're expecting to get a job anyway because you know, why shouldn't you? And I just think that's that's really unfortunate from a Nigerian point of view. If Nigerian voters actually should agree with that. Well, that's so sad. Like I said earlier on, but the unfortunate thing is, I mean. I mean, a lot of people might not like it, like you said, but the bitter truth is that he's a front runner and he's, he has a very strong chance of being the next president of Nigeria. So before I go to the next question, let me just add to the first question. Now, if he ends up being president, it's not impossible. I do think it's unlikely. That's, of course, my personal opinion. But if it does happen, what are the risks involved for Nigeria as a country, for example? Do, do we, I mean, if you look at what happened in America with Trump, I mean, people said that nations were blackmailing because they know of this or that. Could that also apply to him if he becomes president? Um, so I I don't know so much about him being blackmailed because unlike unlike the US, I'm not sure that Nigeria is really that strategically important to that many people anymore. Other countries, you know, you have to attend UN. We have to have yeah, that. I, I know. So, but I'm saying. What, what strategic importance does Nigeria have to anyone, really? Like, Nigeria is becoming more and more isolated. It's becoming a less and less important country, which is very unfortunate. As it's growing in population, 
it's reducing in in international influence and presence, which I think is very sad. So I'm not so sure about the the, the opportunity for blackmail. Obviously, will clearly be there to present itself, but I'm not so convinced that anyone really want to take advantage of it. What I'm really concerned about isn't even that. What I'm really concerned about is the knock on the the reputational effect that it will have on people like you and I, people who aren't even in Nigeria, who haven't been in Nigeria for quite. But who, as a result of our Nigerian identity, which we simply can't run away from, it's in our, it's in our skin color, it's in our names, it's in our accents, it's in our mannerisms, it's in, it's in everything about us. You just can't run, even if you have a UK passport or a US passport, you you don't actually stop being Nigerian. You can add another identity to it, but you can't subtract your Nigerian identity. So what that will do to people like us, who are already treated a certain way, because whether fairly or unfairly, Nigerian have the Nigerian identity has a of stigma around it. You can just imagine what it would be if people can now credibly link our like the Nigerian president, the sitting Nigerian president to drug trafficking. You know, Nigeria already has such a huge reputational problem when it comes to problems like fraud and drug trafficking, especially. So if you if Nigeria were to be viewed as a narco state in the, in the way that, uh, uh, what was the country that was ruled by uh, Pablo Noriega? I think it was uh, uh, Nicaragua in the 80s. If Nigeria were to become a narco state or to be viewed as, as a narco state, that this is a country which already has a drug trafficking problem and is now being led by a known drug trafficker, something that not even Colombia experience during the days of Escobar. I don't want to imagine what that would do to people like us. Because if we're already, as we are now, we haven't done anything wrong, but we're already guilty by association, simply because of our Nigerian identity. When there is now something to actually point to, even though we still haven't done anything, you can just imagine what that, like people like us, are they not, the job opportunities that we get are going to be reduced. Um, when we travel, we're going to look at with even more suspicion than we currently are. There's, there's just going to be, the world is going to speak us down. It's going to be hell for us. And I think it's very unfair because there are a lot of excellent people in the Nigerian diaspora who are just trying to live productive lives and do the right thing. And then by nature, by virtue of something happening back home, which they don't have any influence over, which, which is not their fault, all of a sudden, you're going to have this situation where, you know, they they're going to end up being punished for something that has nothing to do with them. And I'm part of that demographic as well. So that's what I that's what really worries me about the possibility of the Tinubu president. Yeah, because from all indication, it does look like the APC they're not trying to woo the citizenry for the election. They just want to bulldoze their way through. So I won't be surprised if he ends up being president. But clearly, there was something else I just wanted to hit on back to your investigation. The the Deloitte letter that said Palatinumbo has never worked for them, that they don't yeah. have to name on their file. I mean, I think that in any crime, any sane crime, even in some in, on, in fake crime, that's enough. It's a moral question because it's always brandished that Deloitte. He brandished them, the name that that's where he made all his money on consultancy. And they clearly say they don't have him on file. Do you, do you want to harp on that a little bit? I mean, I was really, but really. It, 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 it just it just um, emphasizes the extent to which this fellow has no respect 
for Nigerians at all. Really does not rate our basic internet. Because there are some there are some there are some kinds of lies that even if you mistakenly jumps out of your mouth, you should sort of try and find a way to make sure that nobody hears it again. If that get in print somewhere, you should reach out to the newspaper and try and get them to take it down or something. Not that you keep on repeating it multiple times, knowing that it has absolutely no basis in reality. I mean, it's different when maybe so someone like me, for example, I for like after university, I spent about three months in a in a what's it called um, a contract role at, at KPMG. Right? I wasn't the direct staff of KPMG. I was hired through an agency, but I was working at KPMG, working on on a short term contract that they were executing on behalf of Northwest Bank. So I guess technically, I can describe myself as an ex staff of kpmg that's true right however if i then go out in public and start first of all stating that instead of three months that i worked at kpmg that i worked there for five years and then i'm not going to state that my public profile that my job description that instead of saying i was a i was a data administrator data administrator something like that i will now go and say i was i was a i don't know i was senior manager or junior partner or something that will that will be such extreme dishonesty. This is even worse because he didn't even work there at all. He just completely invented it out of thin air. Like he worked at Deloitte. He never worked at Deloitte. Maybe he went on a guided tour of, of, of the Deloitte Deloitte facility in Chicago or something. He never worked there, not for one day. But he has been saying, repeating it for for years. That not only did he work at Deloitte, he even made up this like really elaborate story about how they, as a junior staff there, somehow they sent him on, they seconded him to National Oil in Saudi Arabia, which, which later became Saudi Aramco. And then his work was so excellent that they gave him a bonus of 850,000 US. Like, come on, who, which big four consultancy, I mean, I'm sure you must have friends that have worked at the big four, you yourself have even worked at the big four. Which big, which big four or big six or any kind of corporate consultancy gives bonuses of $850,000 even to partners? Even to partners. Not to talk of a, a basically an entry-level accountant, basically an entry-level staff, essentially. They said he gave him an $850,000 bonus and when he added, he added all his, uh, his travel allowances and salary payments that he came up to about one point eight million dollars like him he, he genuinely thinks that nigerians are, 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 are like really daft people people and we don't know any better we don't read we don't research we're not exposed to the world we don't know how anything works so you can literally just come out and say absolutely anything and it will fly after all, it's not just nigerians what do they even know? so i just think after after this came into the open I think the fact that uh, people in his political formation are even trying to defend it because the, the defense that I've been seeing, a lot of them, they've now been claiming that um, the documents that I presented, which are on public record, by the way, because this this this, this, this have been entered into a, the lawsuit that's currently going on against him at the federal, the, the magistrate court in, in, in Abuja. They're now claiming that these documents are fake. That wow. this, this document, which was obtained via subpoena from Deloitte LLP, is fake. 
that the lady who signed on the document doesn't exist. Somebody who's who you can literally Google. Her name is Leticia Negoni. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Negroni. You can literally Google her. She has a LinkedIn page. She's on she's on Zoom info. She has a social presence, and they, they simply claim that she doesn't exist. Just to try and so I just think that the fact that they're even trying to do that just underlines the extent to which that entire political formation, that entire political party, has no respect for Nigeria and Nigerians whatsoever. The only thing it is interested in is just power for the sake of itself. It has no intention of governance, it has no idea how to govern, and it has no respect for the people it intends to govern. It just wants to be in a position of power, that is all. They're just looking for power for the sake of itself, which incidentally is very is typical of the manner in which drug dealers and drug trafficking organizations behave. Where they just they do absolutely anything in Colombia. Exactly. Pablo Phil Tinobo will succeed here in Nigeria, rather. Yeah. So for me, that's that that's just the tragedy in all of this. The fact that um, somebody who wants to be president and the party around him, which also happens to be the current ruling party, let's forget, just has so little respect for Nigerians. And I think if you look at it through the through 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 that prism, you can also understand why this same political party has governed Nigeria, Nigeria the way it has over the past seven years. You can see just how little it rates us. What about the the uh, the Donald Duke issue? You use Donald Duke's picture, you know, and I mean, it, what what I find unfortunate in that is that Donald Duke is not just an everyday Nigerian. He was governor at the same time with Tinubu. What kind of audacity? Who does that kind of thing? I mean, I think that he shouldn't even get away with that. But it looks like nothing is going to come out of that. What do you think? It just again, it just further underlines that basic lack of respect for the basic IQ and intelligence of Nigerians. They genuinely think that Nigerians are just profoundly stupid people. Because in addition to using a picture of Donald Duke of all people, a very, very, very public personality, this man, uh, Donald Duke, actually came out to complain about it. And these people used my photo. And then... They simply went and took down the photo from his website. They just took it down. It's still in the documentary, which they, which they produced, by the way. It's still up there. But they just took it down from his official campaign website. That's all. And didn't offer any explanation as to why they took it down. And then, um, the, the, what's his name? The, the um, spokesperson of their presidential campaign committee, Bayo Ononuga, then sent out a statement where he tried to downplay it and he tried to blame the video editors and the people who designed the website. And then I amplified the statement on my Twitter handle and look at what this idiot is saying. And then I think as soon as he saw the amount of engagement that that was getting and he realized that this thing had backfired on him, then he backpedaled and they put out another statement disclaiming the first statement, which had his name and signature on it, claiming that he doesn't know where it originated so again, this is just a group of people, as we said, who have no intention of trying to woo the electorate, trying to get people to vote for them. They're not interested. They clearly have other means that they think are going to get them into office. They just completely don't. They have no regard whatsoever 
for Nigerians and they just believe that it's their manifest destiny to be in power. So if you disagree with that or if you think that if you think that they need to try and work for votes or they, they, they need to show any kind of basic competency or something, well, screw you. You're not important. Okay, let's let me ask you this. What do you foresee happening between now and February vis-a-vis the Nigerian political landscape? All is just Tinubu because it does look like it's an hydrated problem for the country. Now, I mean, I have an opinion. I think that it's not going to be as easy for him as he thinks, you know. But what do you foresee from your side of the prison? What personally, what what I foresee is that the the northern voting bloc, which seems to be a very major part of the political calculation this time around, um, that voting block which he is clearly counting on, um, the voting block which is the reason why he made the decision to run with, Kas- with Kasim Chetima, who is, by the way, an awful choice for VP, but he specifically chose him because he, he's looking for person who will be perceived to be the most um who be perceived as the a, like a pro-northern pro pro-muslim hardliner because that's how we think he's going to to um basically blackmail the north now what i what i foresee is that instead of getting that block northern votes as he seems to imagine he's going to get i think there will actually be a huge split down the middle and Northern Votes is going to be split three ways between himself, Atika Abubakar, and um, Rabiu Musa Kwankwa. So I actually think that's what's going to happen. I do not I do not believe in one second that the entire North is going to vote for Bola Ahmed. You know, I just do not see it happening. Did not, traditionally, does not even like him. So whether or not he has chosen Kasim Shetima to be the person who has to kind of soften his his image in the North. I, I, I personally don't believe that is going to work. I don't think the North is going to vote for him in a block as he seems to believe that he will. Um, and, and I don't believe they're going to vote for, for Atiku either because they also don't like him. So I think there's going to be a split and there's also, there's also and I think there's also going to be by Northern standards some degree of, of, of voter apathy in the election. I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you absolutely. I mean, my opinion is that the North is not a monolith. It's not uh, just a, it's not a voting block as they that, as they say. So we're in for a lot of surprises. But quick one: Do you think INEC is prepared? Oh, that's it. I have to be careful how 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 I answer this question now. And the reason I think I have to be careful is that I know that there are lots of people within INEC who wants there to be a free, fair, credible election and who are doing good work to try and make sure that it happens. However, there are also people within INEC who are in some positions of power who are also working for, for, for the ruling party. So, um, does INEC have the capacity to deliver a, a decent election? Yes, it does. It has the capacity. Will it do so? Does it have the political will to do so? That's a completely different question altogether. I honestly don't know. And a lot can change between now and So, um, this is one of those we have to sit down and look and see how it turns out. Kind of things. Okay, we keep our fingers crossed. So, final question. Are you scared for yourself, your life, or have you been threatened anyway because of the expose? I know you've been asked this a lot of times, so, but I just want to ask you again. Are you? Um, 
let me start with have I been courted? Um, yes, multiple times. Um, I've 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 been informed very reliably the fact that shortly after the documentary came out, the um, there's a um, there's a I don't know if to call it a group, but there's a there's a group of people within the APC's um, presidential campaign committee who this group is called the APC New Horizons Special Ops. Special operations, and apparently they had a, they had a Zoom meeting, which was chaired by Femi Fanyi. And in that meeting, I was a major topic for discussion. Meeting, and among other things, they, they discussed things like my location, things like how potentially to get rid of me. Um, they, they discussed um, how they intend to to counteract my presence on social media. So they. they the, the, the one of the things that was discussed in the meeting, for example, was how they will, they will deploy their allegedly their alleged twenty thousand Twitter handles to basically jump down my throat every time. I so that basically, if I tweet my name is David, you see hundred replies to that tweet saying that it's a lie. I'm lying. Yeah, stupid. This that. Basically, to, to basically to astroturf me or to gaslight me out of social media, which I thought is a very stupid idea, but that's the limit of, of, the, of the type of the way they think. Because to to a man who's only told is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And then they have a they had a guy who claimed to have my exact location, who claimed to have me under surveillance. So I said, well, okay, good for them. And all sorts and all sorts. And apparently they've also they've, they've also gone and hired um, security consultants, foreign security consultants, white guys. So I'm, I'm not sure if they're Americans or they're Israelis, because all, all my close to tell me that they're white guys. But apparently those guys are working directly out of, of, of Tinobu's Ikoi-Reg. So there's that. And, and apparently um, they've also placed the, an eight-figure Naira sum on my head, 20 million Naira to be exact. So yes, there are threats. But the second part of the question was, um, am I scared for my life? Um, I I take precautions. I take security precautions. I think my security is very serious. Um, you know, I live under asylum protection, and even my movement is monitored. Like I live under actual protection. Like I live under armed guard. So it's you know, I I think my security is serious. So it's not as if I'm reckless. But at the same time, am I scared? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, because I, I believe that uh, waking up, like uh, going to sleep and expecting to wake up in the morning, is itself an act of great optimism, because nothing is guaranteed. Stepping out of your house and hoping to achieve what you set out to achieve that day is also a risk. Everything is a risk in life. So if you are going through life with fear, you are never going to achieve anything. So I know what this administration has put me through over the past seven years, and millions of people like me. And and I know what the Tinubu administration could do, which would be you know, many orders of magnitude worse. So if there's anything in my power to prevent that outcome from happening, then it's better I do it now instead of biting my fingers after the fact and saying, if only I had tried, if only I had done this, who knows, who knows, who knows. So, yeah. All right. So do you have any party shot for our listeners, you know? I'm sure we're going to bring you back sometime in the future, possibly uh, before the election. <laughs> Do you have anything to say to them? Because from what you said now, you've, I mean, you've more or less given us a party shot because that was very encouraging. You know, the planet is also, it's not, it's not ready for weak hearted people, you know, so, but in just 30 seconds, you have anything you have to say to our listeners? Yeah. No, my one thing I would say is, um, just make sure to read, 
Um, the reason people like Bola Tinumbu and Mamad Buhari and Festus Kiyamu and that entire group of awful human beings have been able to get into power, positions of power, and stay there is because they ride on people's ignorance. It's not so much people's lack of intelligence, it's people's ignorance. I'm very intelligent, but if you don't read, you'll still be ignorant. So people should make it more of a habit to read stuff, to take in information and generally become more informed about the world around them. When you are more informed, it becomes very difficult for people to take that deal. Thank you very much, David Iyene Obong Nigeria is proud of you. Credible Nigerians are proud of you. And with people like you, they hope there's hope for the for the future of Nigeria. I know it looks bleak. It looks bleak by all standards available. The very best of Nigeria are all in diaspora right now. So, I mean, once again, thank you for coming. We're going to call it a wrap there. Clearly, we're going to bring David back sometime in the future, maybe before the election. I'm sure a lot of things will change in the next month or two. But once again, David, thank you for coming to Atlanta Discuss. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye.